This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Don't forget you can catch the English Heritage Podcast every Thursday and also catch up with any episodes you've missed through your usual podcast platform. Now, this week we're travelling to Suffolk in historic East Anglia and about three miles west of Framlingham Castle, which you might remember from episode 20, lies a place with its own important chapter in England's story. This is a tale of ordinary working people, of living off the land, of our daily bread. And I've come to Saxted Green Post Mill in the village of Saxted Green to find out more about it. I'm first meeting Jonathan Sullivan, who still owns the mill. We're standing in the front garden of the miller's cottage here, and we've got the mill just in front of us. Can you sort of describe it for us? I know we're looking directly into the sun, but what does it actually look like? Because to me, at the bottom, we seem to have a cylindrical shape with windows and a door at the bottom, and then a sort of slightly cone-shaped roof, and then a large wooden, almost New England-style house chunk on the top, and then obviously a crisscross mainsail arrangement. Yes, well, I think I would call the cone-shaped thing the roundhouse, which is a small round brick tower. And on top of that, there is a wooden superstructure. The top of it is actually like the, um, the bottom of a boat, if you look at it. And then, of course, on the front, you've got the four sails to which you referred. And on the back, although it's under repair just at this moment, there's the fantail. The fantail is so important because it moves the mill into the wind and the sails must always face the wind for safe operation. So that happens automatically, day and night. And the fantail that you described, I suppose the best way of describing that is that comes out of the wooden superstructure and then reaches the ground and then that wooden structure actually moves around 360 degrees around the mill yes. as the wind is pushing that's, that's it. That's right, yes. The ladder is pitched probably at 60 degrees. It's fairly steep and uh, it has uh, wooden rungs so that you can actually access the top part. And why is this one called a post mill? Because that whole structure up there is mounted on a huge oak post. Everything turns and all the weight is actually delivered onto that post. And if you were to mass up the grinding stones, all the timber work, the sails when they're fully loaded and everything else, we're talking around about 40 tonnes of load. Wow. So it's a massive weight on the oak post. Now the oak post is the only thing that is suspected that goes back to 1287. That's the only piece of the mill that hasn't been replaced over the years. That's remarkable. So how old is the actual mill Ah, now this one, made up, yeah, I guess it's yes. like a giant Meccano set, isn't it? it? it um, is, it's made yes. up of different bits. Yes. But I suspect you've heard the, old, the story about an old boy who somebody said to him, how long have you had that shovel? Well, I had that shovel for 70 years. And they say, well, that's marvellous. He said, yes, had three new blades and four new handles. So the mill is actually like that because the technology has changed. But this particular structure, it was as advanced as post mills ever became they never got better than this and then they fell into disuse and most of them fell into disrepair apart from Saxted Mill which is the best example 
in the world. And I, I make that statement because somebody might challenge that, but show us a better one because it's got everything in it. It's got all the tools that my grandfather, my grand, great-grandfather used. So it's here complete and you see it in all its glory this morning in the sun. Can you also describe how the mill sort of sits in the general landscape around here? Because here we are in Suffolk, we're near Framlingham Castle, yes. we're sort of near Saxmundham. But the land around here is very flat. Yes, but this is a high point on flat land. It is said that the step of the roundhouse is at the same point as the top of the church tower in Framlingham. If you've come up from Framlingham, you've come up quite a way, but you haven't noticed it. You're sitting on a plateau, and we're sitting in the middle of eight to 10 acres of land called Saxted Green, which is public open space and a very pleasant place to be because you're surrounded by grassland. If you look round, you will see the old farmhouses. Farms used to be around here in smaller communities than they are now. As you know, a thousand acre farm is not unusual now, but that farm that we can see over there with the very ancient farmhouse was only 50 acres. Right. And they made a living from 50 acres. And then there's another farmhouse over there, a farmhouse over there. And the, and the rest of the small cottages were farm workers' cottages, but they've all been combined into larger houses now. So in this slightly elevated position versus Framlingham, yeah. we're in a good place to catch the wind, and that's yes. why it's been put that's here. That's right, yes. And uh, the, the wisdom probably in 1287 was the same, because the first windmill in Saxon is recorded in the manorial records in Framlingham as 1287 when um, they, they put a mill together here. Here you are, look. Just look up there, look. Look at the twist, look. You can really see it now. Oh, yes, you yeah. can. So now, we're standing right underneath uh, the bottom sail here. That's right. And we're looking at a beautiful twist. As we look at this structure, can you tell me how your family became owners of, of the mill? Yes. My great-grandfather was in the milling business and he was in farming and all this sort of thing. And uh, th this mill came up for sale in Framlingham in 1873, on the 28th of February 1873. Now, it, it was bankrupt stock. If you've got a long period where you didn't get any wind, you didn't do any business, you know. So he decided that he would buy that. And they then moved to Saxted from, they got mills in, uh, in Whirlingworth, got two mills there as well. But they decided they would live in the mill house, which is this Georgian house, 1810. And then, of course, my grandfather then took it on. And then my mother inherited it because the family name was an old Suffolk name, was Aldred. My name is obviously Sullivan, so we have Irish roots somewhere. What did it actually make? It was here to grind wheat. And so there are two sets of um, French burr stones because um, East Anglian wheat is extremely hard. And so they imported French burr for that. These stones, which would be upstairs above yeah. us, yeah. they crush the grain. That's right, yeah. You've got a bedstone, which is static. The stone above it is called a runner, and the runner is the one that keeps going round and round and it round, goes around by the wind. And they had to be completely flat on both surfaces, because you know what happens if two stones strike each other? Spark. Oh, of course. And many mills were burnt down, because if they allowed the two stones not to have any grain between them, and the stone caught to stone, Milling dust is explosive. Great care had to be um, employed. Now, you can see the cap right up to the top of the mill. My grandfather used to climb out of the window and stand on the top. And he would count, this is just pre-war, 30 windmills. 
in this yes, local area? Yes, so he just see the tips of sails. He could count 30. So every village had one. But this is a, a real workers' history here in this spot, yes. isn't it? Um, why is it so important for people to visit a site like this? Well, I think that if you don't look back, you don't appreciate how far we've come. Progress is a wonderful thing. But if you look at conservation and if you look at uh, protection of the environment, in these situations, looking back, there was no pollution, was there? And it's good to remind ourselves that these people lived here with a, almost a pollution-free environment. Next, I meet Joseph James, who's overseeing the mill restoration project here. We're standing in the ground floor of the roundhouse, yeah. surrounded by lots of tools hanging on the uh, walls. And there's rope, uh, wheels, lots of bits of timber. I couldn't describe all of it, but it looks mill-related, shall we say? Yeah, well, up upstairs even more mill-related, where the, where the actual post comes where down. Where the actual oak the post is. The action happens, yeah. How did it all come into the care of English heritage then? Back in about the 1980s, it came into uh, what was then the Ministry of Works. So we are just custodians of it, we look after it, so it's still in the ownership of Jonathan Sullivan and his family, and we're indebted to them for all they do, because they look after the mill for us when we're not about as well and when the high winds come up. So we've looked after it since then, which means that we can open it up to the public, and it's just a vitally important part of our whole portfolio of you know, the 400 monuments and castles and palaces that we, we have. But the windmill is you know, part of our rural history, our, our heritage, and it, it tells a really different story. Before the Industrial Revolution, this was the powerhouse of the village. It would have been the centre of activity, the corn straight from the field and being ground here and then being delivered and, then, and made into the bread to feed the villages. So it's, it's really important. So we can tell that story. So it's only open between... April and September on Fridays and, and, and Saturdays. But when the conservation project is completed and we reopen in April, we'll also have a brand new interpretation project that we're, we're launching, which whereas people do come here and we're, we're closed, they can dial a number and then the mill will tell you her story about all the things that's been going on here, the miller's life and things like that. So it's about bringing it all back to life and keeping it in people's minds of how important mills are and how important they are still, because there's so few of them about. So they, is this your only post mill then? Yes, uh, Sibsey's a, a tower mill, so that's, uh, and that's huge. That's in Lincolnshire, right just past Boston. And we have another mill at Burney Arms in Norfolk. None of the three wheels, mills are now working, but we have committed to a significant investment in our, our mills, not only in the conservation project, but in the craftsmanship and the workmanship of the millwrights, and then also in a real detailed maintenance programme, because everything moves on a mill. So we're putting in a, a comprehensive maintenance programme to make sure that we, once we spent the £250,000 we're spending on Saxton Green, mm -hmm. that we then protect that investment and make sure it stays in this wonderful condition that it is now. Well, you've mentioned the, the millwrights. Can we meet him and perhaps we can yeah, talk to him about... Yeah, he's on site with his lads, so we'll, we'll go and find him. I'm Tim Whiting and I'm a millwright based in Suffolk. We are looking at uh, a circular track. We've just walked along there. We've got Neil 
on the tower, on the whitewashed area, on a ladder doing some drilling, which you can probably pick up on the recording. You've described, obviously, the fact that you're a millwright. How do you become a millwright? Does it run in your family? No, not at all. But uh, I grew up in the grounds of Friston Windmill. And after training as a, a cabinet maker and joiner, my first workshop was in the old corn store for the mill. And uh, I just got immersed in, in windmills from there on. So were you always interested in them from that age or, or earlier? They're epic on the landscape. I think anyone who's in a village environment or even a town environment that's grown up looking at these mills because they stand out so high above everything else. I think it's quite hard not to be interested in them. Jonathan mentioned uh, that his grandfather would be on the top of the mill in the olden days and be able to see 30 in the local landscape. Do you know how many are around this area these days? Not that many, that's for sure. Suffolk is well known for post mills. They're our flagship mill, really. Sadly, I can't name anywhere near 30 nearby now, I'm afraid. So how long have you been doing this job for? And is it, is it your only job as well? So I first met Vincent Pargeter, who's an Essex millwright. He visited my workshop at Friston. I first met him in 2005. And it was then that he planted the seed for me to start working with him. But it wasn't until 2011 I actually completely went full-time millwriting. It's been mentioned that you are a rare breed. Are there many of you of millwrights who do this sort of work and also this restoration work? The quick answer to that is no. There's loads of very clever volunteers and one-man bands working all over the country and looking after mills, doing a sterling job. But the actual traditional millwriting firms, they're dying out fast. It's a very tricky job to manage as a firm just doing windmills. A lot of the big names now work on other big properties as well. These aren't the sort of buildings that you can make a quick buck on. You've really got to, there's a pun there I'm sure somewhere. <laughs> We're still underneath the buck. Yes. So it's, it's very tricky, it's very very tricky. There's not many of us left now. So you're a real specialist in your field? Yes, every day is a new one so we're constantly learning all the time. Is it mainly a restorative job? Because obviously these mills are historical artefacts. Yes, very much so. Basically we're putting things back to how they should be, which for windmills generally is until they last worked. Your restoration, we're looking obviously at the white ladder which comes out from the buck, the wooden part. What's the restoration work that you've been doing, the main pieces of work that you've done? Originally, when we first came here, it was in a hope to do some patching up and replace this main staircase, which had, had failed. But as everything else, when you start pulling things apart, you always find there's always more things lurking below the surface. And when you're looking at something as old as this, you can imagine so you start going up there with a view to painting it and then you realize boards need replacing can't really complain they've been up there since the 50s so they're pretty good boards really we've put a new step and fly on this frame at the back it's called the fly frame and uh, those blue and white pieces you can see over there are the fly blades and that will turn the entire mill buck sails and steps around about 12 tons worth this is about 18 months work I've lost track really, but that sounds about right. What we'd like to do is have everything working in, in a couple of weeks time. So the whole mill is, is alive again, and then we'll leave it to wind. Um, the term for the, uh, the fly on the back spinning so the whole mill can turn around is called winding. So we'll leave the mill for as long as we can winding just to prove itself. And then on the front, we'll load all the shutters back in. So 
it would be completely back in the spring, hopefully, for the opening. Okay, so by the time people are listening to this podcast, this will be a winding, rotating, 100%, yep. giant Meccano piece of kit. In full health. What are the main things that you have replaced? We've put a, a new roof on. The boards that you can see there, the curved roof at the top, that's now got uh, western red cedar boards across the top. The entire fly frame out the back has been replaced along with the oak carriage. You can see these lovely um, curved beams here. They're all cut from a nice curved tree that we managed to find. The castings are all original but they've been refettled. The castings are the, are the cogs that you can see there by the wheel, yep. Okay. Once again, also a casting. And there's a new tar? Well, the roundhouse as it's called has had a fresh coat of whitewash, casing-bound whitewash, and the tar has, uh, has just been topped up with possibly its last coat of tar. It's getting harder and harder to find, and I don't think it's going to be done again with tar. It right. won't, won't be around for next time, I don't think. What are the main challenges that you face in this project, this sort of roughly 18-month project? I'm a millwright, but I've worked for a few years on various types of mills and you'll find this mill will have what would appear to be a sister mill but when you start working here you then soon realize actually everything is different to the previous so all the fixtures and fittings that we come to know are different you're dealing with uh, different millwrights that built them in the first place and then of course there's the other things that we get used to now for instance we're now stood on a on grass that's going to be muddy soon so it's very seasonal you can't think you're going to pull up with a crane on the dirt track and get to work because you'll probably sink. You've got to constantly think about what you're doing. So you've got the weather, the environment, the location. Wind. The, yeah. the wind. The fact that this is almost like a bespoke mill that was designed to a certain specification. That's right. And it's got to be top-notch. It has got to be 100% top-notch. Otherwise, things will fail. And with windmills, they fail generally very quick. How much maintenance will be required after you've left site? They do need constantly being watched. If we have a load of snow, you can find that the carriage gets stuck, the mill can't turn, the wind comes from, from the back and then the mill could be heavily damaged. Every part that you can see have all got grease nipples on, they all need to be greased, all the teeth need to be greased. It's a constant, constant job. So will there be a team of people after you've left just checking in or will you come back every so often? I think I'm coming back every so often to look after it. We've got Jonathan who lives on site but obviously as you probably realise a lot of mills are in the middle of nowhere. They still need greasing so that's a big part of our work. When you put all these extra bits on and you're making all these adjustments and um, refitting it, how difficult was it to source parts? You have to have a really really good network of people behind you. For instance you can't go off and buy a casting from the local timber yard or builder's yard we have to get a pattern made and then we have to have that cast then it has to be machined up by an engineer and then hopefully fingers crossed it will fit it's not a quick just pop another one on by the time this podcast goes out we'll be in 2020 you'll be quite happy by that point i suppose how do you think you'll look back on the project i think i'll look back on this one quite happily there's always another one the more we work on the more i think about that's all i can say there are all, this one I'll be happy with. There are, there's an, always another mill to make right, basically. Yes, and there's always one that worries you. Okay, well, hopefully this one doesn't keep you up all night. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. In conclusion, why is the conversion of a mill like this so important? It's just embedded in our 
history and our heritage. My very first job with English Heritage about five years ago was Osborne House, Queen Victoria's holiday home. On the Isle of Wight. On the Isle of Wight. And you walk into the Durbar room and all its opulence and its you know, wonderful glittery and you go, wow. The, the Indian sort of yes, looking yeah. room. Yeah. So, and, you know, that is one end. You walk here up into the buckhouse of the, of the mill and you still go, wow. It's a different history, but it's still our history. And it's, you can feel the people who have been working there and you can, you can imagine them working. And it's a wonderful thing, a mill, because it just works within itself. It uses its own power to lift all the corn up and bring it all down again. It's such well-designed bit of engineering, but it's got a life itself. And I think that those stories, the people who worked here, are so important that we remember and keep alive and keep those skills alive. So I think it's working with people like Tim just to make sure that we don't lose this. And people, all people can enjoy it. And the people of Saxted, when the sales went up, they were overjoyed here because their symbol was back. So it's a symbol of the countryside as well. This one works. You've got other ones, I suppose, in the local area or further afield that are now holiday lets or even people's houses. I think there was one on Grand Designs a, a while back. But this is a working one. That, that's another important thing, I think. Very much so. Very much so. It's part of our heritage. And if it's lost now, it'll be lost forever because we don't, we don't put things back really if they need preserving. And what do you enjoy most about working on this project? Oh, it's the day you let it go. <laughs> Definitely. This, uh, the building comes to life. It's, it's something else when you see a, a windmill or a water mill that's been let go for the first time after restoration. It's nervous, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely amazing when you see something working that hasn't worked for sometimes over 100 years. The last thing I'd like to ask was the image of the windmill. For me, I think there's something quite sort of poetic, romantic about the windmill. And we talked with Jonathan about how it's harking back to green technology before we even started talking about green technology in the 21st century. What do you particularly enjoy about windmills? It's just the whole, the whole history of it. Years ago, they would have been the centre of the village. All the local farmers would have gone to the mill for um, having all their corn ground or animal feeds produced. The villages, if you look, generally were built up around the windmill. It's just a, a, a massive piece of ancient technology going back to medieval times that we naturally have gone around. It's only in recent years where the massive um, steam-driven roller mills that they were turned up and then everything was mass-produced. We stood this field here only a few months ago was a cornfield the corn would have come here. I mean, how, how better carbon footprint can you get? Would you echo that sentiment, Joseph? Absolutely. And it's just the vision of a mill. I mean, they're proud structures. And they're always in a place you can see because they need to be out in the wind, so they're not hidden away. And when you see a windmill without its sails, it is so sad. So the opposite, when it has its sails on, it's just uplifting. And I think in the Suffolk countryside, with the big blue skies, there's nothing better. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out more about Saxted Green Post Mill, head to the English Heritage website. We're back next week looking at the beliefs that shaped England before the arrival of Christianity. The monuments are fantastic stone circles like Stonehenge, chambered long mounds, earthworks, monoliths. So we have an immense amount to work with in the landscape. Thanks for listening. 
See you next time.